everybody. Welcome to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. I'm Troy Brenning-Meyer. In this episode, my featured guest is the Dobro player, writer, and collector of pre-war Dobros, Steve Toth. Steve has several instructional books published by Hal Leonard and also has one of the most unique and prolific collections of pre-war Dobros out there. Today, we are going to talk all about his new book, Dobro Roots, listen to some tracks from some of his CDs, and I also wanted to take this opportunity to share Steve's vast knowledge of the history of pre-war Dobros and some of the musicians that played them. His book, Dobro Roots, can be found on Amazon.com and also many other retail bookstores. For more info about Steve or to buy any of his other material, feel free to email him at sf.toth, that's sf.toth, at roadrunner.com. Also, if you want to learn more about Dobro, Lap Steel, Weisenborn, or Pedal Steel, you can head over to my site, LessonsWithTroy.com. Now, from sunny Southern California, let's please welcome Steve Toth. How's it going, Steve? Okay, Troy. Good morning. Good good morning. Yeah, it's uh, good to have you here. I know that, uh, you know, me, myself, you know, as well as lots of other... uh, aspiring dobro players kind of started with some of your your early books and uh i was very excited to get this in the mail the other day uh you know to any of the listeners or viewers on youtube this is an incredible book uh if you're into the history of dobro and uh you know want to see some some great pictures um really fantastic work i gotta compliment you on that for sure well, just sort of point out, it's a lot more than pictures, too. There's a lot of information there and a lot of in- detailed information on the construction of Dobros and the dimensions of the different era and different years they made them. So there's a lot yeah. more than pictures. Some people call it a coffee table book because it's got pictures, but it's really got a lot of great information. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what I wanted to tap into on this podcast, too. And like I was saying in the intro, you know, share um, – some of your knowledge, you know, because I, I myself, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about pre-war Dobros, and in fact, I'm gonna probably even, uh, you know, show my ignorance here, and and but I thought it would be, you know, something important too to point out when they say pre-war, I'm assuming that's World War Two. World War Two is correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. From about ni- 1929 to 1941 was just about the the starting and stopping date for production they had to stop when they started world war world war ii because the, the metal had to be used for the war efforts and they couldn't use the metal to produce the dobros anymore so ah. that's why it stopped then that's what i was curious about as you know in preparing for this i was i was wondering you know why they with guitars and things dobros they they say pre-war why don't they just say the date but i guess that's that's why, huh? Well, but the, uh, the war was kind of a, a dividing line, especially for the Dobro, because there weren't any Dobros produced for almost 20 years then. Once they stopped in 1941, they didn't start building them again until the late 50s, really early 60s. A couple of Dopera brothers started, Rudy and, and uh, one of the other brothers started to make Dobros again. So it was a nice. void of 20 years was there with no production whatsoever nice nice yeah it's amazing information for sure well how did you get started you know playing the dobro and music in general where, where did all this begin for you 
Well, I got started listening to country music on the radio in the 50s. Country music and rock and roll, of course. And I started playing the guitar, but I also listened to bluegrass music because it was part of country music back then. And, of course, I heard Flat and Scruggs, and they just were terrific, and I loved them. And uh, I was very fortunate. My parents took me to see a Flat and Scruggs show a couple of times, and I saw Uncle Josh in person. And he just uh, knocked me out with his dobro playing, and I just loved the dobro. And uh, I first played guitar, and then I started playing five-string banjo, and right after that, I took up the dobro. And uh, I had to learn the dobro myself. There was no instruction material back at that time, and I just learned it from the records, slowing down the records. I used to buy 45 RPM little records Scruggs that sent they'd sell their singles. And that's the way you'd buy them. There were even, there were some LPs then, but I'd be buying the 45s. For those really? who don't know what a record is, <laughs> a vinyl vinyl LPs were preceded by small 45 RPM records with just one song on each side, and that's that's the ones I used to buy. Latin songs. Did you did you ever put the? Uh, I've heard of people putting quarters on the on the needle to kind of weigh it down to to slow it down a little bit. Oh no, I never tried that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I heard that, but I heard that some people would do that. Put like stack up, you know, change or quarters, and it would slow it down a little bit. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I just t- tried to learn it from the full speed initially. Uh, nice, nice. Well, uh, yeah, so so around what, what year did you start playing Dobro? That was probably in the late 50s, probably 59, 60. And then I played, taught my roommate in college how to play guitar, and we played bluegrass and country and folk music, and I played the banjo and the Dobro, and he played guitar. And then my brother and I played as a duo, doing Stanley Brothers tunes and, and uh, he'd play guitar and sing the lead and I'd sing the tenor part and play the banjo like Ralph Stanley. Nice. And uh, then about 1970, I got in a bluegrass band playing the dobro for the first time in an actual band uh, called the Bluegrass Cousins. And uh, a few years after I joined that band, I decided to write a book on instructions for the dobro because there was nothing around at the time. And I put out Dobro Techniques for Bluegrass and Country Music. And uh, I put it out in about 1974, I guess it was. And, and two years later, the publisher went bankrupt, unfortunately. Oh, no. And I never got any feedback from anybody who learned from the book. or I got very little royalty from it, of course. But uh, more importantly, I would hope to hear from people, you know, how they, how they did with it, if it helped them learn, because that was my goal to really get people to learn from it. I didn't expect to make any money on it. So I heard nothing for, for 15 years probably about it. Every once in a while I'd hear, hear about someone who bought it in Scotland or in Australia, but I really never heard any feedback. And then from 1980 to 1990, I totally stopped playing music. I just was doing my day job as an engineer and got away from music totally. And then uh, in the early, uh, I guess it was the early 90s, I started playing bluegrass again in a bluegrass band. And I decided at that time to get Dobo Techniques republished. 
and I hooked up with Center Stream Publishing, who also worked with Hal Leonard, and we put out Dobro Techniques once again about 93, and uh, they started distributing it all over the world, which was, which was great, super, and it's done really fantastic since then. Nice. And then about a year later, I decided to put out a CD of my own, and uh, called Sliding Down the Road, and... Uh, that got yeah. some really nice airplay around the world. That's it. There it is. <laughs> and nice. uh, I got on uh, a Prime Cuts of Bluegrass, a DJ service, and it got played all over the world. And I got a lot of feedback from DJs from around the world. And I got tapes of their radio shows from from Lithuania, from uh, from Austria, from France, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Canada, all over Canada, and I got copies of their radio shows where they were playing my music, and it was so, so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, and, so uh, cool. Very cool. So um, this might be actually a good time to uh, to talk about your your CD and to play, a, you know, whatever track you, you you want me to play on it. You know, tell us maybe a little bit about it and, and uh, you know, whatever whatever you want to say about it. Well, it's a very interesting thing about it. It was recorded. We actually did the recording in 1979 with a band I used to play with called yeah. uh, Horse Country. And I recorded uh, the, the band playing one Saturday on my four-track TIAC recorder. And we just did everything in one day. And I put the stuff away and I stopped playing for 10 years and never did anything with it. And in oh, 1993, wow. I decided to buy a DAT digital recorder, two-track digital recorder. And I did a mix down of the tracks that were done in 1979. And it came out so good, the mix down on the DAT, that I said, you know, maybe I could put an album out of this stuff, you know, and make a CD of it. So I played it for some people and they said, yeah, that's pretty good. I said... I won't embarrass myself, right? And I said, no, no, you won't embarrass yourself. It's okay. So I said, well, I'm going to do it then. So I put the CD out, put it together, and uh, it turned out it got a really nice response from the DJs. And the tune that got the best response was Step To It. And that's wow. an instrumental that I wrote. And that's on there. If you want to play that, that'd be great. Yeah, why don't we take a little break now, and uh, and I'll play that for everybody. And and then when we get back, we can maybe talk a little bit about your, your book, Dobro, Dobro Roots, and you can inform myself and, and all the listeners all about pre-war Dobros. How's that sound? Okay, great. Cool. So here's Steve Toth and the song Step To It. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, well, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm interviewing Steve Toth. Well, Steve, you had mentioned on the break uh, a little bit about uh, IBMA and, and the CD, and tell, tell our listeners that story that you were telling me about. Yes, yeah, so after I put the CD out, I decided to go to the IBMA World of Bluegrass, and it was held in Owensboro, Kentucky at that time, and uh, it was a fantastic experience, and just to see all the top players and bluegrass music in one location and walking around the uh the exhibition area the first day i happened to run into tim shearhorn's booth where he was showing his dobros and there's a dobro player sitting there playing a dobro and he was fantastic i mean he was incredible he was so good that i said i'm not even i had my dobro with me i said i'm not going to take this out because this fellow is so good I said, this is, this is incredible. And I was blown away. And he wasn't even a person I knew. His name was Lubash Novotny. And he was from the Czech Republic. And he played with a band called Druha Trava. And they were a fantastic Czech band. And uh, they actually did a set there that weekend, at that, festi- that week at the festival. Nice. And, uh, but that evening, uh, at one of the uh, music uh, rooms where they had different music being shown, uh, hospitality suites. I ran into this fella and he walked up to me and he looked at my name tag and he looked, he says, are you Steve Toth? I said, yes. He says, you know, I learned how to play from your book, Dobro Techniques. I said, that's great. I can't believe it. He says, you got to play a song from that book for me. And he made me sit down and play home, a sweet home, which is one of the songs in the book. <laughs> and he, he got such a kick out of it. And I got a kick out of it, too. Nice. What a yeah. great story. And then the next year, I went to the IBM again, IBMA again. And uh, that was the year that the Great Dobro Sessions was up for an award. And Jerry Douglas was set to be on stage to play a song with a few other Dobro players like Uncle Josh and Tut Taylor and... Uh, did I say Brother Oswald, Brother Oswald, and uh, Gene Wooten. So they, yeah. were, they were scheduled to play a tune from the great Dobro sessions. But Jerry got the idea to get all the professional Dobro players on stage at one time when they played it. So as they played, more and more Dobro players would come on the stage. <laughs> so at the end of the stage, we had like over 20 Dobro players of the top Dobro players in the world. Phil Ledbetter came up with me and uh, Junior Barber and uh, Tim Shearhorn was there. He came up and you name it, whoever was in, uh, Sally Van Meter was there. She came up and we had everybody there. And uh, a DJ from Europe who was playing my music happened to take a picture from the balcony of that gathering of these Dobro players. And he gave me a picture, a photo, a copy of it the next day. Yeah. And I had it blown up and I called it the historic Dobro players photo. And I have a photo, a copy of that picture reproduced in Dobro Roots. So for anybody who gets a copy of Dobro Roots, they'll see it. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a fantastic picture, very historic. I gave a copy to Jerry Douglas and he couldn't get over it. He didn't realize anybody took a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, I gave you a copy. If you get a chance, you might be able to put it up on screen while we're talking about this. Oh yeah, yeah. When I go, <clears throat> when I, uh, 
it's probably already been shown, you know, in the in the future. Let's say, you know, when I go back and edit it, I'll I'll put it up there for sure. Sure, sure. Um, so then I yeah, did two I, more. I did two more books. Then I did a Dobro Classics book, which had twenty classic tunes that you play at uh, at jam sessions, tabbed out. And then I did a CD that went with it. And then I did a Dobro Christmas book. Oh, cool. And then. Uh, I attended in 2000. I went to the first Resogat. Oh, yeah. That John Dopera Jr. put on at his home in Pennsylvania. And the Resogat gathering of resonator guitar players still goes on now. And they have it every year now. I believe it's in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. I try to, I try to go there each year. You know, I'm actually uh, planning on going there. Uh, this year but that's cool that you were at the very first one man yeah and at the first one is when i got the the urge to start collecting dobros and that's when i started to collect them uh. and I went on this adventure of collecting pre-war dobros <laughs> i had always loved them over the years and and uh, i just got the desire to try to get almost mostly every every model that they made in the pre-war period from 29 to 41, and uh, I was able to collect almost almost every model, not not quite, but almost every model. And, and uh, my friend was also a collector. My friend, good friend Larry Malls, he's from Philadelphia, and he I, collects, I know Larry, yeah, yeah, and he collects also. And what I didn't have, he would have. So uh. I ended up moving to California in 2009. And that put me very close to the NAM. I don't know if you've heard of NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. Yes. NAM has their headquarters in Carlsbad, which is about 10 minutes from, my, from me. And they have a museum of making music there at the NAM headquarters. Uh, okay. And they had the old paperwork from the National Dobro Company that was, that was left over and they had they had all that historical documentation there where I could go and look at it, and look up information and old catalogs on pre-war Dobros. So I said, gee, I have this at my disposal and I have a pile of pre-war Dobros. I said, maybe I should do a book on pre-war Dobros. <laughs> and that's what led to Dobro Roots being produced. And I picked the name Dobro Roots because I said the Dobro, it, the pre-war instrument was really the roots of the new instruments and the modern instruments that are that are produced today. And yeah. a lot of the, the characteristics of the initial Dobro still carry over today, even though there's been modern improvements that have been very greatly in, enhanced the sound. But still, the old ones have a unique sound that the new ones don't put out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm curious too. Um, how did you go about buying these? I mean, were you on eBay or or just? I mean, wh how did you go about finding all these? If it wasn't for the internet, I couldn't do it. It was from the internet. Uh, eBay was some. I got some off eBay, but I also searched out the different music stores that had websites where they would have Dobros listed. And I just kind of shop the internet and search and, and, and just hunt on the internet for pre-war Dobros. Yeah. And from that, I was able to, 
to put together a real nice collection. I would have never been able to do it without the internet. <laughs> Definitely not. Wow. And I'm just picturing your house, you know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, just to have that many Dobros, you know, in your house, I, I'm sure your, uh, your wife is a, is a amazing person to, my wife to... is a saint. She's a saint <laughs> and she's great. She, she doesn't discourage me. She always encourages me. She's, I said, Aww. Oh, I saw this really great Dobro again, Louise. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting it. What do you think? She's no. If you like it, go ahead, go get it. You know, that's her. That's all right. And that's, uh, she's <laughs> always been understanding. Always been understanding. Oh, that's amazing. Well, why don't you? Uh, why don't we dive into some of these Dobros and and uh, and you can kind of inform us all about kind of the history of of. I I don't know how much you want to share about the history of the Dobro and. The Dopera brothers and uh, any of that, feel free, you know. Sure. Well, let me just hold up the book again. I don't know if they could see it when you held it up. Yeah, there you go. I'll hold it up here again. Dobro Roos. Yeah. And the the Dobro on the cover, uh, this cover was produced by the publisher without my knowledge. They took one of the some of the photo one of the photos that I had provided to them. And they made the cover up. And this is an actual Dobro that I have. It's a very fancy model 125 custom Dobro. And they did a beautiful job of, of making the cover. And it's a hardcover book. And uh, that's one of the Dobros that's in there. And there's a lot of pictures of it. But uh, the Dobro was invented in probably around 1928 by John Dopera. And at the time, he was still part of the national company because he invented the national tricone instrument and he was part of the national company with his brothers and several other business people and of course his obje objection with uh objective when he made the tricone was to make a guitar louder because they're playing hawaiian music on traditional guitars and they weren't loud enough so he was trying to make a louder guitar and the tricone was always his favorite instrument but around 1928-29 he started to have some difficulty business difficulties with his partners and he ended up leaving the company in 1929 but he had invented the Dobro in 1928 as a side project and he had it had the patents put in Rudy, his brother's name, Rudy Dopera. So the Dobro patents all show Rudy Dopera as the inventor, but the Dobro was actually invented by John Dopera. Ah, okay. And then they started to produce them in 1929 and started to put them out on the market. And they would they put them out and they would price them give a. a Priced them uh, according to what they would sell for, but they would name the models after the price. So a model 45 sold for $45, a model 55 sold for $55, a model 85 was $85, and on up. And that what, initial, what year? Excuse me. So, what year around? Around about what year? Uh, are we talking just to get in mind set? You know, I know how much Dobros cost now, let's say, and then for $45 to get a Dobro. I mean, what, what, around what year were that we talking? That was 1929 before the, the, the stock market crashed. 
Ah, okay. So they had priced them at $45 as at the low end because the nationals were selling for in the hundreds of dollars. The, the metal-bodied nationals, which were their competition. So they were undercutting them by selling them for $45, $55, $85. That was the list price. Of course, you could... There was always a big markup on instruments like there is today. So you could buy them for less than that. But those were the list prices of them. And that okay. first group series they put out in 1929, they, all the prices ended in five. So when I did my book, I call that the five series of Dobros, of California five series. Because then in 1932, Two, they put out a new series and the numbers ended in six. So the model 45, they cut the price down to $36 and they called it a model 36. And it was a very similar model. And the model 55 became a model 56. And a model 85 became a model 86. So I call that the California six series. And that was produced from about 1932 to 1933. And there's a whole, and the book covers all these different series in chronological order. So it kind of puts some order to the, to the pre-war instruments where there was never any order before. Yeah. People never yeah. knew which ones were which and when they were made, who made them. But there were only California made Dobros for those first three or four years. Uh, and okay. in 1933, the Dobro company couldn't produce enough instruments, and they licensed the Regal Company in Chicago to produce Dobros for sale east of the Mississippi. So Regal started to produce instruments in 1933. So the next series of instruments that I designate, I call the Regal First Series, and it corresponded with the California 7 series. And the models they had now, now they dropped the price to $27 because we're in the middle of the Depression now. Uh, okay. So cut the, the list price even further to $27 for the first, the lowest model. The next model was a model 37. And then there was a model 45. And, and, and that was about it. They cut the, mo the line down to three or four models, and there wasn't a lot of models like they had in the early days. And those are the models that we know of. The Model 27 is what Uncle Josh played, and he was called a Julie, and that was a Model 27. Uh, and later on, I'm going to have, if you can, play a, play a tune that I've played on a Model 27 that's like Uncle Josh's. Then the Model 37 was a model made by Regal, that uh, Mike Aldridge played. And Mike just made that one famous. And then Uncle Josh also played a Model 37 later in his career. And Jerry Douglas started with a Model 37. Ah, okay. So, so that's now in the, about the mid-1930s mid we're talking about, mid to late 1930s. What would happen at the same time concurrently Electric guitars were invented, and Hawaiian electric guitars were invented. So the volume was increased dramatically beyond what the resophonic instruments, like a dobro or a national, could produce. So while the instrument was 
earth shattering when it came out in 19, the 1920s. By the mid-1930s, it got overwhelmed by the electric steel guitar and electric guitars. So the sales started to drop off. Uh-huh. And they started to make less and less dobros in the late 1930s until 1941, World War II started. And they had to stop making dobros completely because they couldn't use the metal. Because all metal had to be used in war for the war production. Ah. And then no dobros were made again for about 20 years, from 1941 till about the early 1960s. And then Rudy Dopera and a couple of his brothers started making dobros again. John Dopera just had a small shop, fiddle shop in Escondido, which is about 15 minutes from me. And he was out of, out of the dobro business completely by then. But Rudy Dopera started making them again. And that led to the resurgence of the, of the manufacturer of dobros. Gotcha. And and that led to the the eventual creation of the modern dobro that we know today. Gotcha. Okay. And for any listeners that may not know about the name dobro, uh, oh right, where it came from. Let's talk about that maybe. Yeah, the the name dobro comes from the. Uh, the word for good in the Slavic languages is dobro. Okay. And I happen to be of Croatian descent, and I went to Croatia on a visit, and dobro means good in Croatian. So when you say good morning to somebody, it's dobro jutro. When you say good day, it's dobro dan. When you say good evening, it's dobro veče. So <laughs> you have dobro all the time. In Croatia, and I'm sure a lot of the Slavic countries, but it also is an acronym for their name, the Dopera. They took D-O for Dopera and B-R-O from Brothers, and they put it together to make it Dobro. So that's how they formed the name Dobro. Nice. And Dobro is, is the, was the name of the brand of instrument initially, but over the years, the Dobro also became like a generic name. Yeah, yeah. So that a dobro player is a player who plays a slide instrument on his lap with a steel bar in a dobro style. The dobro brand name is now owned by the Gibson Company. So the dobro brand instrument and the brand name is owned by them, but the dobro generic name is still used quite often as you yeah. and I do, to designate a player of a dobro. Yeah, for sure. Right. And when you're talking about all the the, the dobros in your book and, and the history of the dobro, I mean, was it mostly square neck or, or round neck dobros that was being made back then? Well, in the beginning, they produced mainly round necks because they felt that if anyone wanted to play it, Hawaiian style or dobro style, they could put a nut razor on it and play a round neck the same way they would play a square neck. So in the early days, in 1929, 1930, 31, they produced very few square neck dobros. So you, so the early square neck dobros are quite rare and hard to find. By the mid-1930s, they were making a lot of square neck dobros, and there were more square necks than round necks, uh-huh. because it, the Hawaiian music had taken off by that time, and they were catering to the Hawaiian guitar players, and they were making the square necks for them. Yeah, yeah. 
and you get a little bit, maybe a, a small differential of, of more solidity in the sound of a square neck, but not, not, not that much. A good round neck will sound really good compared to a good square neck. But the square necks are just a little more solid. The neck will stay straighter than a round neck. But uh, so early days, round neck, mid-30s to end of, end of 30s were more square necks were made. Gotcha. And just for, for my sake and the listener's sake, I mean, what what's some of the main differences uh, between the, the pre-war Dobros? I'm sure there's a lot. And then today's modern Dobro. You know, how have they kind of change things on them okay or, the, the, uh, the initial dobros were built with a, with a small body a, a classical guitar size body mm -hmm. like a double o martin size body and it was a very shallow depth of body it was about two and seven agents deep body so it wasn't it wasn't very deep so you didn't have a lot of deep low end <clears throat> As they went along, they started to make the bodies deeper. When Regal kicked in in 1933, they started making them about three and a half inches deep. And the, and the California people started to follow suit and make them the same depth because they found they gave them a little more sound, a much deeper sound and fuller sound. So that the, do the Dobros coming out of California in the, th in the, in the mid-30s and, and the Regal Dobros coming, coming out of Chicago had these deeper bodies. And the modern Dobros today have like three and a half, three and three quarter inch, four inch deep bodies. Plus the body size today is bigger, is a large body. You've heard of the L-body Dobros and the yeah. L-body that, that Tim Sheehorn introduced. Yeah, yeah, and the the E body that uh, Paul Beard makes that's a bigger body overall, so it's deeper and it's larger, so you get a fuller sound out of it. But you do lose something on the high end on those, and that bite that you got on those pre-war Dobros from the bodies that were slightly smaller in in circumference and slightly shallower in depth. And construction. All the pre-war Dobros, by the way, were made of plywood. They didn't make any of solid wood. Nowadays, most of the of the Dobros are made of solid woods, either mahogany or walnut or, or uh, rosewood with spruce top. But back in the back in the uh, 30s, whatever the topping wood was, it was on top of plywood subbase. So you'd have nice mahogany dobros, but they would be a mahogany veneer. You'd have spruce top would be spruce veneer. And walnut was the same way, walnut veneer on top of uh, plywood. And uh, believe it or not, the lowest end dobros, the Model 27 from the 1930s, was about the best sounding dobro they made. The hmm. high end dobros made of walnut were probably the least best. Best sounding, least sound <laughs> for some reason. Something. Just it was something in the wood with the walnut giving it a solidity or uh, something that didn't allow the the resonance of the of that tone chamber to resonate. Whereas the Model Twenty Seven was made probably a little thinner, less expensive birch plywood, and it had a certain resonance to it that gave the Model Twenty Seven Dobro a great sound. 
And uh-huh. likewise, the Model 37, which was also from the 30s. And the Model 45s also had a nice sound. Uh, but you get up to the, to the Model 125 and the 186 and the 206, and they were beautiful. And you'll see them in the book. They're beautiful instruments, and the woodwork and the engraving on the metal is beautiful, but the sound was not as good as the inexpensive everyday Tobro. Wow, isn't that something? Yeah. And uh, maybe talk a little bit, too. Um, all these Dobros had what's called uh, a sound well, right? Right. Or- Almost all of them had sound wells. The California okay. Dobros all had sound wells, which was a ring of wood underneath the vibrating aluminum cone that really produced most of the sound coming out of the dobro. The vibrations of the string was amplified by the aluminum cone. And it sat on this ring of wood called the sound well. Ah, And the California dobros all had parallelogram holes in them. All the regal dobros had round holes. Ah. So you can quite often tell the difference between a California Dobro and a Regal Dobro by the fact that the Regals had the round holes and the California had the parallelograms. Ah. But the early California Dobros also had round holes. So the very, very early ones in 1929, 1930 had round holes, but then they went to the parallelogram. The other thing they did, they had originally spun cones where they spun them on a lathe then they went to a stamping method of stamping the aluminum cones and then they went to a stamped cone with eight legs on it or lugs and they made a short spider that sat on these lugs and i think they did that to get a brighter sound out of the instrument to balance out the bass sound that was being produced but later on, they started putting long spiders on the lug cones that were designed for short spiders. So you had a lug cone with, could have, with a short spider. You could have a lug cone with a long spider on it. Hmm. And some of the real fanatics of pre-war sound liked the lug cones with a short spider. If they had a long spider, it gave a little different sound. Mm. To my ear, it depends on the instrument. They can, yeah. they can be comparable. But to, a, to a, a true fanatic of pre-war dobro sound, uh-huh. and like Uncle Josh's dobro sound, that short spider on a lug cone was the sound that they looked for and the instrument that they looked for. Nice. nice. And I... on. On the with the book Dobro Roots, I have a CD that has 15 tunes on it that I played on 15 different do- pre-war Dobros, and I have a I played a Model 27 that had its original lug cone with a short spider, and that's the one I played on there. And nice. I think I've got that available for you to play if, if you'd like to try to yeah chew that up, and I'll. While you do, I can get out that instrument. I got to actually show you that instrument. Yeah. So before we we take a break, tell the listeners what what uh, what are we getting ready to listen to again? We're getting ready to listen to a Model Twenty Seven Dobro playing, and I'm playing Fireball Mail on it. Okay. 
and it's just a, it's just me playing with a track I made with bass and guitar on another channel and the dobro on a separate on on the left channel and I'm playing fireball mail on a 1927 a So welcome back, and Steve now um, has that guitar that, that or that dobro that was uh, just uh, played. I've got it right here, Troy, Model 27 from 1934. This is very similar to the one Uncle Josh played. He called it Julie. That was the name he called it, and it's got a sunburst front, binding only on the top of the body, Bottom of the line instrument at that time in 1934, but had a great sound. Had yeah. Unbound fingerboard, very simple. It had the typical California peg head with square slots on the slots. The Regal made instruments had rounded slots. That's another kind of way you can detect the difference between a California Dobro and a Regal made Dobro. Okay. And because they would have the same logo often on the Regals that have the uh -huh. same Dobro logo, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference from that. And then the back, very simple, just plain dark finish back and sides. Very simple, very cheap to produce. And it had the better models had three holes here at the end of the fingerboard. The Model 27 and the next one we're going to get to, the Model 37, have no holes here. Ah. So there's no holes here. Just they have the two screen holes, which are typical of a Dobro. And this, of course, for those who don't know, is called the cover plate. And underneath here is the cone, the aluminum cone that gives us the sound, the unique sound of the Dobro. And also, I'm just curious, what, what was the, uh, you know, now a lot of the modern Dobros don't have the uh, the covers on the holes, you know? It's just an open hole. 
And then I know know a lot of those old ones had the uh, the mesh covers over the right, holes, huh? Right. The mesh cover was probably put on there as decorative and also to keep things from falling in. But it was found in recent years that you really lost a little bit of sound by having that screen. So the modern Dobros now have no more screen here. It's just a just a ring. Or, or a finished off circle here with an opening, with a round opening to allow the sound to come out more. And, and I also noticed too on that one, I could be wrong, but it looks like it has a round neck, right? This, this is a round neck, yes. Okay, and Most that's what the Josh- Model 27s were, were round neck, that low end model was, in fact, this California Model 27 at this, during this time frame was only made in a round neck. Later on, they did produce a square neck model 27. Uh-huh. In 1936, they started making some square neck ones. But until then, they were almost all just round neck. And the catalog indicated it was only a round neck. Uh, and that's what Josh Graves played with that's a round neck. Josh day. played with, with a nut razor, and I've got one on here. Here's, here's a nut razor. Nice. There isn't even a high nut on this. I have a nut razor just like Josh used to do. He didn't even bother putting a high nut on it. But nowadays, we'd probably put a high nut because you'd get a little better sound with it. But I find that this gives a great sound, so I leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Let's uh, let's listen to another one. Tell us about another one. Okay, the next one we're going to listen to is a Model 37, the same style that Michael Aldridge played, that Josh played in his later career, and... Jerry Douglas played at the beginning of his career, Model 37 made by the Regal Company, but with the Dobro name. And we're going to we're going to listen to that now. I'm playing Pick Away on that. Pick Away. Yep. Okay. It's 1936. Well, this Dobro. Nice. 1936. Let's take a break, and you can grab the uh, grab that Dobro, and we'll listen to a little Pick Away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome back, and Steve's going to talk about this Dobro. Tell us a little bit about, about this one. Now, we've got a Model 37 from 1936. This one's made by the Regal Company, but it has the regular 
Dobro logo on it. And this one happens to have a solid pig head. And in 1936, they went to solid pig heads on the Dobros because tuning machines were made available at a reasonable enough cost that they could produce them with solid pig heads. So the Regal Company made them with solid pig heads. The California Dobros were still produced with slotted pig heads. But the Regal, the Regal Dobros, a lot of them were made with the, with the solid pig heads. And these are preferred because it's a little easier to change the strings on a solid pig head Dobro than a, than a slot head. All the modern Dobros are made now with solid pig heads. But uh, if anyone's tried to change strings on a slot, they know the difference. It's a, it's a little more difficult. When you get used to it, it's not bad. But it, it, this is more convenient. Yeah. And this one I've put a, a high nut on. I don't have a nut razor on, so you can see that. And this one had a painted mahogany body. It was actually a fake mahogany finish, and you can see it more on the back. It's supposed to be just a replication of mahogany. Nice. And yet this became one of the most popular models of pre-war Dobros in 1970 and the 1980s. Even into the 1990s, it was still popular. Until Tim Shearhorn came along and Paul Beard and Rudy Jones, and they made... The, the hot rod machines that we have nowadays. <laughs> and this had binding on the top and the bottom of the body. Okay. And it had still had no, no binding on the fingerboard. Most of them didn't. Once in a while they had it, but this had no binding. And they had none of, no holes at the end of the fingerboard, once again, like the Model 27. And this had a little bit of finish on the side, a little sunburst finish on the side, nice. as well as the top. So it's a little a little fancier than, than the Model 27, but it was still pretty much a, a birch plywood painted to look like mahogany. Yeah. In most instances. And, it, and, and the body depth was a little bit deeper. So you were talking, I think, about three and a half inches on this. Hmm. That other Model 27, I think, had about three and a quarter inch, three and three eighths inch. So they incrementally increased it. They didn't. They didn't go all in one size. They kind of incrementally increased them. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So that's a Model 37. So now the next one we're going to do is a Model 45, and the next song we're going to hear is "Red Haired Boy," played on a Model 45 from 1934. It's serial number 1499, and uh, this one's in the book, too. Take a look if you want. Okay. Let's go ahead and cut to that, and, and we'll see you back in just a little bit. Okay.
let's welcome back Steve, and he's going to talk about this one now. Okay, here we have a model, the Model 45 you just heard. And Model 45 now is a $45 model, so it's got a spruce top, again, a spruce veneer, and has a mahogany sides and back. And this is real mahogany veneer now. It's not a painted mahogany. So I don't know if you can see the grain of the mahogany there in that picture. Yeah. And it has a has a, uh, a purfling down the down the middle of the back. A little fancier and very nice instrument. And they had a nice sound. Josh played one of these early on in his career, and uh, even Brother Oswald played them. Uh, but they nice. have they have a real nice sound. Uh, when they're set up correctly. They have binding on the fingerboard. The fingerboard on these was usually real ebony. Ooh, nice. And here you had the three holes that, that at the end of the fingerboard that were just decorations to kind of emulate a lyre pattern, which is what the Dobler logo is. It's actually a lyre. And uh, I'll show you the logo. Yeah. Up close. If you, can see, if you can see it, but it's actually a symbol of a liar. And there's three little dots under the Dobro name, and those are the three dots that are at the end of the fingerboard. That's why they put them at the end of the fingerboard, believe it or not. Very cool. Yeah. Wow, I never knew that. In fact, this one actually has a, a mahogany veneer on the, on the, on the peg head. You just can't see it in the picture, but believe me, it's a very thin veneer of mahogany. Yeah, a, a real mahogany on top of just a, a basswood, possibly neck. You know, something that that strikes uh, that I'm noticing too is with all these, even though they have a square neck and you're never going to use the frets, they decided to put frets on on dobros, which right, they always had metal, almost always had metal frets. Yes, yes. Yeah, and this is yeah, this is a square neck also. 37 was a square neck. I forgot to mention that, but this is a square neck. Yeah, yeah. And this is a, a, a regal made, so I should show you that. Here's a regal made peg head with the rounded slots. Ah, uh, okay. See the slots are rounded there. Yep. Could catch that or not, but... Uh, and you were saying regal's out of Chicago at that time, right? Exactly. Oh, regal's nice. making them out of Chicago for distribution east of the Mississippi. And okay. California Dobro instruments were west of the Mississippi. Nice. Now, now I'm going to show you uh, and have you hear, listen to a Model 45 made in California. Okay. Okay. It's it's an, from 1936. It's serial number 8906. Very unusual, and I'll show you what it is when you play it. I'm playing green sleeves on here. Okay. So let's give a listen to that. Okay. We'll see you back in just a little bit. Okay.
Okay, well, let's welcome back Steve. Let's talk about this one. Okay, now this is a Model 36, very rare and unusual Model 30, I mean, Model 45, Model 45 from 1936, made in California. And it's spruce top with the mahogany sides and back. Let's see if I can get you to see the back. Nice. It has a double purfling in the back. And, and has a very wide square neck. You won't be able to tell it there, but let me show you. It's, the neck is about two inches wide. They used to be really about like one and three quarter. This one's two inches wide. And it's very rare in that it's got a solid peg head from made in California. It's the only Dobro I've ever seen made in California that has a solid peg head. Huh. Every other one has a slotted peg head. So someone probably ordered this special order because it also has butter bean tuners that are very much like they used on Martin guitars in that period. Can you see those tuners there? Sure, yeah. Real nice butter bean tuners that are coveted now, and most of the reissue Martins have butter bean tuners on, and people just sh sh look for them all the yeah. time. <laughs> and this Dobro happens to be one with butter bean tuners and it's got a great sound i've had people say this sounds almost as good as a shear horn oh wow what's made in the pre-war period 1936 and it's uh, it's really great well you just heard it sometime on uh, green sleeves but it's hard to tell on that recording because uh it, I didn't use really good microphones when I recorded those those tracks you're listening to, but uh, it's a wonderful sounding instrument. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the next one I'm going to play for you is the Model 125 Custom that's on the cover of the book. It's yeah. It's a fancy walnut, gold-plated engraved Dobro that came out of the collection, I'm told, of Rudy Dopera. It came nice. with his own personal Dobro. And it's beautifully gold-plated and engraved. And it also sounds great, too. And the tune I'm playing is Sometimes Alone. It's a tune that I wrote. And I hope you like this one. Okay. Well, let's take a listen to it right now.
Well, welcome back, Steve. Let's learn a little bit about this one now. Okay, now this is a beautiful instrument, the Model 125 Custom. A Model 125 normally had chrome-plated parts, but this is all gold-plated because, uh, as I mentioned, it came from uh, Rudy Dopera's collection, and it was a special, special guitar that he had made. And it's engraved, beautiful engraving pattern, and it's got beautiful walnut veneer on it. And the back is just gorgeous. I'll show you the back. Oh, man. It's really highly figured, four-way matched walnut back. And it's, it's a beautiful looking dobro, and it's a beautiful sounding dobro. Now, this, one, this one's from about 1931. It's a round neck. Round neck. They had a logo on it that was made of celluloid. It's not, it's not the uh, decal logo that they have on most of the other instruments. It's a celluloid logo. And uh, uh, just a beautiful instrument. And uh, great sounding, too, and uh, worked out great as a cover on the book. <laughs> so that's the one on the cover. Which was a surprise okay. to me, but I was happy to see it. <laughs> yeah, you can see the cover behind you, and, and as you're holding it up, oh, it's kind right. of... right, <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it on my wall by my office. Nice. Oh, we were, we were talking before about Jerry Douglas and the Earls of Leicester. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was... playing now. Yeah, I was asking. I was asking Steve. You know, I knew that Jerry Douglas is playing a bunch of uh, older um, dobros, and I said, "Well, do you know anything about that?" And then, and then he, go ahead and tell tell him what you told me. Right. Well, Jerry started out playing his old Model Thirty Seven that he originally started his career with, similar to the one that I I had played for you earlier, a Model Thirty Seven made by the Regal Company, and. Uh, I met him doing a performance about about a year and a half, a year and a half ago. My band opened for them at a club here. Oh, nice. And I took some Dobros down for him to listen to. And he played his for me, his Model 37. And he said, gee, you know, my Model 37, I've played it so much, I've worn out the cover plate, so it's cutting my hand. And I wish I had another good pre-war Dobro. Well, I brought some Dobros from to listen to not looking for him to have a dobro of mine. But a, about a month later, we happened to make a deal, and he got one of my dobros, a Model 27 square neck made by Regal. And he was playing that all last year on his shows, and he loved the sound of it that day, and he just he had to have it. So he got it for me, and I, I was happy to have it. Oh, how cool, man. And, and he gave it a name. He named it Steve. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. How cool is that? Yeah, so I was really thrilled about that. And it, and it sounds great. I try to catch all the YouTube versions of, of the Earl's playing when he's playing that dobro. And it's really it sounds good. It really sounds good. Is there any way we can, like, if I get if I get on YouTube that I can spot that it's that dobro that you're talking about? How Yes, the way you can spot it has a binding on just the top of the body. Of course, it's a Model 27. Okay. And his Dobro has binding on the top and the bottom of the body. Ah. It's a Model 37. So you can spot the one that he's using that, that, that I had that he got from me. And it's got just the binding on, on the top of the body. And it's pretty easy to pick up and to see okay. on, on YouTube. And there's quite a few things from 19. He started playing it in about 
December of 94, played it all of 95. And lately I've been seeing him playing his Model 37 again, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him to find out what happened with the 27. I think he probably got tired of changing the strings on the slotted peg head it has. Uh. <laughs> it has a slotted peg head. And, uh, but I, gotta, I, I have to talk to him about that and find out what's going on. But no, you can, you can tell if you want and, and, and pick it up when you see it. Yeah, That's so cool. Well, yeah, Jerry's kind of, to me, like a, uh, an enigma. You know, I've never, I've never talked to him. I've never had any communication with him. But, of course, he was my inspiration to even start playing the slide guitar, you know. Oh, he's a great guy. Great guy. But he knows so many people. It's hard for him to be in to be in touch with him because he's got so many people he knows. He's played on everybody's record. I mean, <laughs> you name anybody and he's probably played something on their records for him, you know. Yeah. And he knows that many more people in the music industry. And that's something. But he's still a nice down to earth guy. My wife and I went with my son to see him at a show here in California last year. And it was pouring rain and it was an outdoor concert. And we pulled up in the parking lot and we and we wanted to find Jerry to see what was going on. And I'm, I got out of my car and someone's yelling out of a bus, hey, Steve. And it was Jerry. And he was in his bus. So he invited us into his in the bus. And we sat down and we were talking. And he was playing some music for us. The concert never went on that night, but we had such a nice time with him just for about a half an hour or so in his bus. We had a great time. Just How cool is that? Uh, it was great. It was great. It was very nice to my wife and my son. And my son loves his playing. My wife loves his playing. Everybody does. It's, it's wow. Just fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else you got for us? You got any other anything else up your sleeve or what, what, where are we at? I have lot. I can go on for three hours with you if you if you want. But I think that's where we ought to end it for today because I think if you want, we'll, we can probably do a a part two of this sometime <laughs> later, and I'll show you a bunch of different instruments. But uh, I think that covers pretty much the general overview of what the book has in it. Nice. And if someone gets the book, they'll be able to see all these books, read about each of the instruments, listen to them being played on the CD. It's called Sounds of the of the Pre-War Dobro. And uh, it's, a, it's a sampling CD. It's not a CD necessarily to listen to all the time. But sure. Something to listen to to hear the different sounds. Yeah, yeah. The instruments. But uh, hopefully... It, it's it's pleasant enough that you can that you can sit and listen to it. Absolutely. So yeah, let's just plug this again. Yeah. So everybody, check out the uh, Dobro the book. Center Dobro Stream. Roots. Center Stream is the publisher distributed by Hal Leonard Publishing. Yep, yeah, comes with a CD in the in the back of it there, and I got mine on Amazon. And I know that you said that it's at what Barnes and Noble too, and. Barnes and Noble and distributed at, at music stores and bookstores throughout the world. Uh, it's it's uh, very widely distributed, but if you can't find it in a store near you, you can always get it online. Yeah, and if you can't see it in the, because it was kind of hard for me to even see on Amazon, but it's a it's a nice thick, you know, hardbound hardbound book. This thing is, you know, especially for the price that you get it for, you know, it's incredible. The pictures are 
are just uh, wonderful pictures and wonderful information in there, if you can see that. And, uh, and tell them, too, that the, uh, the track that we played off your CD, you know, uh, looks like that. And, uh, and that, that, that CD right on, it, on the cover of the, uh, the Dobro on the cover of the CD is a Model 37, by the way, from 1936. And it has a variation on the cover plate called the poinsettia cover plate, a little different layout of the holes on the cover. Oh, nice. And okay. that's the instrument that I played for, for years and years with, uh, with bluegrass bands. And I still play it now when we perform a lot. Nice. I've pretty much gone back to playing my pre-war dobros now when we perform with my bluegrass group. Well, our group, my group's called Old Town Road, and we perform here in the Southern California area. And we'll be at the Summergrass Bluegrass Festival in August, right nice. here in Vista, California. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I got to come out to California again. I took a little road trip, man, it was 2004, I think. And we started in Oakland, me and two buddies, we uh-huh. rented a, we rented a Ford Explorer and we slept on the beach. We stayed at people's houses and we came all the way down to San Diego, not knowing where we would stay. And then we drove all the way back up, you know, to, uh, to fly out. But, uh, you know what I noticed too, <clears throat> and you playing these old Dobros, I'm, Definitely, you're not putting pickups in it. You're you're micing them live. I'm sure. Uh, what what's your your opinion of like a good microphone for a dobro? I just go with what the sound people use. When when I do a sound myself, I use an SM58. Sure, it's it's uh, it's not the optimum by any means, but it gives you a decent sound. It's far from the optimum. I know there's better that a lot of guys use better mics than that, but I, I've never gotten into much about the, the sound production play, yeah. playing with a group. But uh, there are some Shures that are good. There's some Audio Technicas that are good. Okay. Uh, usually there's a, a condenser mic available with a better sound uh, company when they're doing the sound at a festival and they have a good mic for you for the Dobro. Yeah, it's always hard to mic the Dobro. I found, you know, the Sure, it's a it's a great mic to prevent feedback, but mm-hmm. then the sound isn't, uh, you know, as good as like a condenser mic. But then a condenser mic, if you don't have the right monitor set up, you know, it's exactly. feeding back. You know, very tricky to get them balanced correctly. And to me, I'd rather hear the Dobro, even if the quality isn't quite there, and hear it well <clears throat> through an SM58 or. Yeah. SM57. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, thanks so much, Steve. I think we will we'll wrap it up. And well, man, I can't can't thank you enough. And uh, it's great to to finally meet you and and uh, talk with you and, and hopefully uh, everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. That all the information that that you've got stored away up there. It's great. <laughs> well, this was fun. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope the folks enjoyed it. Okay. Well, we'll see you down the road.